So this morning, I, I want to talk to you about this image that's on this sheet. Um, honor God, enjoy life, bless others um, with what I call the tree of life. I, I wanted to make this a, ta- a, a temporary tattoo so that I could give each of you a, a, a tattoo to take home, but um, it takes a little bit too long and costs a little bit too much. I, I didn't think you'd put it on anyway, so but we'll try later. So let's uh, open with prayer and then we'll get going. Lord, thank you for this time of worship, the time to fellowship, the time to get together, read your word and just learn uh, from your Holy Spirit how to live life better before you, how to, uh, how to enjoy life, how to live as your children. So be with us this morning, speak to each one of our hearts, quicken your words so that we might have a revelation of your goodness and kindness and take that out into the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever used a compass? Yeah? You're familiar with how a compass works? With a compass, a a map, and some landmarks, you can find your way through unfamiliar territory, right? You can, you know, figure out which way is north and west and east and south, and then begin to use the landmarks in your map to navigate yourself around uh, the wilderness or someplace you've never been before. I I had an experience like that uh, this past week. I I was going up to Harvesters on Wednesday. I pick up the food some Wednesdays at Harvesters and bring it down uh, here back to the food pantry. And when I got up to the turnoff for Harvesters, there was a train that was blocking the track. And the the traffic was backed up. The train wasn't moving. It was parked there. So I was like, there's no way. Um, so I didn't know exactly a, a, the route to go next, but I figured um, I could use the compass that's in my car and I could begin to navigate and find my way around. Now, Harvesters is almost uh, directly north of here. Um, I don't know, about five miles, so maybe 10 Um, It's up near the VA hospital. So you can see the VA hospital up on the top of the hill. So that's my landmark. And I know it's further west um, than harvesters than where I want to go. So I start using the compass and I turn north because I also in that area is is the Blue River. So the Blue River is pretty big and you have the railroad tracks. So there's not many roads that cross both the Blue River and the railroad track. So I have to begin thinking, all right, I've got to look for a road uh, that that will have a bridge over over the Blue River. So I go north and I get, come across Highway 70 West. And so I need to go west. And I figure the highway is going to be big enough that it'll go over the, the river. So I take that. And then I find the closest exit that I think is going to be able to take me Uh, south again, because now I've gone north of Harvesters, and I need to go south. So I get off, and I get on a road, but I can't go south because the traffic lights won't make me, won't let me make a left turn. So if you're going west, right, left turn is south. So I end up over by the VA hospital, and then I know I've gone too far west, and I've got to go back east. So eventually, I find my way back to harvesters using a compass and a landmark and an idea of where I need to be. Now, 
Stacy was meeting me up there because it was a pretty big load, and she had gotten stopped by the train and was in that traffic jam. And so we were texting back and forth, and, and, and one thing I wanted to know once I got the load on the truck is, is the train still there, right? And sure enough, the train was still there after I got my load on the truck. So now I have to find a new way home, a new way back to church to, to deliver the food. And so I know Harvest, Grandview is directly south of Harvesters, um, about 10 miles. And so I can go, if I go east, I'll pick up 435 south, and then I know how to get here. If I go west, I'll eventually hit 71 south, and I can get on that, right? So here again, I use my compass, I use certain landmarks that I know, and I can find my way in unfamiliar territory. Sometimes we get lost in life like that too, don't we? We think our life is familiar territory. We've been living it day by day for a long time. But then something happens in our life that means we have to go a different route. A train blocks the, tr the road that we're on. Sometimes that train is the loss of a job, death of a loved one. Um, sometimes it's friends moving away. There's just a lot of different things that can happen that all of a sudden our life that's very familiar to us becomes unfamiliar and we're kind of lost on the path. It's times like these that we need what I call a life compass to help us guide our way. A life compass is a set of values that guide us, that help us make decisions about what to do next when we're lost. And so this handout today is my life compass. Um, these are six words that I live by. And so for me, when I've gotten lost in life, I come back to these six words, honor God, enjoy life, bless others. And it helps guide me through what I need to do. In fact, th these are so important to me, I have them tattooed on my arm. So that whenever I'm lost, I pull out my compass and I can find out what do I need to do next. So I'd like to talk with you this morning then about these six words, about the biblical basis for them and how I use them in my life and how perhaps they could be helpful in your life as well. The first thing is about honoring God. You know, to honor someone uh, means to show them respect. It, it might seem strange, perhaps, that I use the word honor rather than love. I mean, we're told, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, but there have been many seasons in my, in my life where, unfortunately, I, I couldn't say, I love God. But I could say, I will honor God. And so for me, that was the beginning of my relationship with God, is to honor God. Um, and then I, over time, have learned to love God. Um, now, I can't even say today that I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I can say I love God with most of it. But I'd rather be honest in my relationship with God and know that there's opportunity for growth than for me to be dishonest in my relationship with God 
and think that I've got it all figured out. So for me, the beginning place is honor God. And so a couple of verses that have helped guide me along that way. And you don't need to turn to all of these because I'm going to go through a lot in the next um, half hour, 45 minutes or so. Isaiah 26, verse 13. Isaiah said, Lord, our God, other lords besides you have ruled over us, but your name alone do we honor. And for me, that verse speaks to that we have a lot of people that we report to, right? We have bosses that we have to uh, show some respect to. We have uh, other people that we're accountable to, uh, teachers, principals, government officials that lord over us. But, But we only have one being, God, that we have to honor above all else. And so... That has been my guiding principle in work situations, that when I've been in in situations where people have asked me to do unethical things that I don't think would honor God, I've decided I'm not going to do that. I'm going to honor God, and it's amazing how things have worked out in the end. My bosses may not have agreed with my decision, but they understood it and allowed me the grace to continue working. Another verse, Isaiah 29, verse 13. The Lord says, these people come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based merely on human rules that they have been taught. And this verse was important because it really told me that to honor God wasn't just something I needed to give lip service to or to just make it my behavior by attending church and by doing the rules that men taught, but there really needed to be something where I was honoring God in my heart. That's where the crucial point really is. And I realized this as I was growing up that I was doing a lot of the religious things. I grew up in the church I can remember, I mean, from the earliest times, we went to church Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesdays. Um, It seemed like every time the church was open, we were inside the building, right? Um, There were a lot of things that I was taught by my parents, by the uh, community that I grew up in that were good religious duties. And so I did them, not so much because I found value in them, but because that's what was expected of me. Now, a lot of those things were still good things, um, but at some point, I had to come to a place where I sorted through what, were, what was I doing to honor God and what was I doing because somebody else told me to. And so I started dropping those things that other people expected of me and really holding on to those things that helped me honor God and added value to my life. So one thing I like about our church is we don't meet on Sunday nights or Wednesdays, (laughs) to be honest with you. Um, So we honor God in our hearts. 
Another verse is 1 Corinthians 6, 19, and 20. Do you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And this verse helped me understand that honoring God wasn't just something spiritual. It wasn't just something philosophical. It wasn't just an attitude, but it had to do with how um, what I put into my, what I did to my body and what I used my body for. And so those things became an important part as I have gone through life to say, okay, how do I treat my body with respect since my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? And how do I use my body to honor God um, in the world around me? And so learning to eat healthy, to exercise, to get the appropriate amount of rest are things to use my body to honor God um, in that way. Another verse, Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. And then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Just as we can honor God with our bodies, we also need to honor him with our wealth, our time, our talent, our treasure. And the great thing is this comes with a promise that he will prosper us as we do this. Our barns will be filled our vats will be overflowing with new wine. And so we can begin to see that honoring God is the foundation. It's the core of our life, our compass, our guiding principle uh, through this life. And then 1 Corinthians 10.31, this is from the Amplified. It says, so then, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you may do, do all for the honor and glory of God. This verse then is kind of the catch-all, the bucket that says, whatever else is left over, make sure all that you're doing is doing to honor God. Has that thought about it. And then the last verse I think about, it's Philippians 4.4. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now that verse doesn't talk directly about honoring God, but I think the idea um, that, that we find joy in God is, uh, brings him honor. But th that word rejoice is a little bit stiff. It's a little bit unfamiliar. It's not a word we use typically in our everyday situation. Somebody says, oh, I got a, a raise. Oh, rejoice. You know, that's kind of a, a Bible word. And so I like how it's translated in the message. The message reads, celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in him, right? So that word rejoice can be translated celebrate. And celebrate is a much better word in our society. Celebrate life. Celebrate the goodness of God. Have a party because God is good and God is kind to you. And so honoring God is part of celebrating life. And this takes us from the first phrase, honor God, into enjoy life. 
God gave us life as a blessing that we might enjoy it. This thought isn't something that I always believed. In fact, probably in the earlier part of my life, I thought life was a cruel hoax. I thought it was a pretty mean game, oftentimes. For me, life was something to be endured, not to be enjoyed. But as I studied scripture, it became clear that God wants us to enjoy life. And I remember saying that to somebody along the way, and it shocked me when those words came out of my mouth because I really hadn't accepted that in my own heart, and then to say that to somebody else uh, was kind of mind-boggling. What God teaches in Scripture is the best way to get the most enjoyment out of life. That if we follow his ways, if we do things according to his principles, just as he talked about, you know, give your first fruits and then your your barns will be full, then your vats will be overflowing. God wants us to enjoy life. Here are some verses that help me see this. John 15, 9 through 11. Jesus was saying, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I told you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So Jesus in his teachings, the whole point of it is, I want to teach you God's ways so that as you live God's ways, you may be filled with joy just as he was filled with joy. You know, I remember watching old movies about, you know, the Jesus story or different things about the life of Jesus. But as a boy, I remember Jesus being kind of somber and sad in all those movies. I mean, to me, as I remember it, it was a Jesus who was, okay, if I have to do this, I'm doing my best, you know? One of the things I like about the the uh, chosen is that Jesus is a happy Jesus, right? He's a Jesus who has fun. And one of the shows, he and his disciples are even having, uh, they're in the, in the lake and they're having, um, you know, water fights. Yeah. Playing chicken in the water and all that stuff. Do you think of Jesus as a happy Jesus? Did, was Jesus walking on earth and he enjoyed what he was doing? I think he did. In fact, I think Jesus enjoyed life so much that it became an area of accusation by his critics. In in Luke 7, verses 33, he's answering his critics, and he says, For John the Baptist came neither eating bread or drinking wine, and you say, he has a demon. John the Baptist lived lived a very kind of sparse life. But the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So Jesus had such an approach to life that he would go to dinners. He would eat. He would drink. He would enjoy those things. He would have a party with tax collectors and sinners. 
to the point that those who opposed him would use that as an accusation to say, you're having too much fun, Jesus. That's not what's supposed to happen. Jesus embraced the good things in life, even when it led to others finding fault with him. If Jesus can do it, so can I. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present age, present world, not to be arrogant nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So Paul continues to teach in the early church what Jesus focused on, that God provides us with everything for our enjoyment. This was a theme Paul came back to time and time in his writings to the early church, that we're made to enjoy life. Life is a blessing when you follow God's ways. One of the other scriptures I like is from Ecclesiastes 5. Now, a lot of people think Ecclesiastes is a real down, you know, depressing kind of book. I like it. I, you know, maybe because I was a depressed, depressing person and I read Ecclesiastes and it gave me hope and it was like, well, wow, this is a, this is a lot better book than I thought. This is one of the verses I like from Ecclesiastes 5, verses 19 and 20. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot in life, and be happy in their toil. This is a gift of God. They seldom reflect on their days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. Isn't that an amazing verse? That kind of blew my mind when I read that. And I was like, that must be a wrong translation or something. But it's not. Years ago, I had a friend... uh, tell me something that really shocked me. He said, Dennis, you think too much. And my response was, I'll have to think about that. <laughs> I didn't think that a person could ever think too much. I mean, my, my, my personality, my approach to life is I think about things. I think constantly about things. I'm always analyzing. I'm always looking at things from a different perspective. But I have to admit... Uh, that oftentimes my thinking about things led only to confusion, frustration, discouragement, worry. This verse helped me uh, approach life in a different way. Not to spend my time thinking. I mean, it says, they seldom reflect on the days of their life. I reflected on the days of my life every day of my life. (laughs) And so I... I realized in this verse, there is a gift of God that makes you so content and so happy with your life that I don't need to reflect on the days of my life. God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. And so a different approach to life is not thinking about everything, but having gladness of heart. And so I began over time to switch my approach to life from thinking about life, reflecting on my life, to gladness of heart, living with gladness of heart. 
And that's made a big difference. And, but of course, life isn't always easy, is it? James 1, uh, verses 2 through 4 is something we're probably all familiar with. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So the, the enjoyment of life that God is talking about is not an enjoyment of life that is situationally based. It's not because the circumstances of your life have all come together. This is an enjoyment of life at a deeper level, at a spiritual level, so that even when your circumstances are problematic, you can have joy in your life. Jesus is pretty clear in his teachings uh, that you will have difficulties in your life. But we can learn to take joy even in the midst of our troubles. I've learned over the years um, that I often add misery to my troubles. And by adding misery to my troubles, I double the load that I'm trying to carry. I add misery to my troubles Um, when I began to imagine the worst thing happening or when I I worry about tomorrow or when I focus on the negative stuff in my life. All I'm doing, the trouble is still the same, but then I'm adding misery on top of my trouble and doubling my load, my burden. But what Jesus has showed me through this verse and other verses is that I can find joy in the midst of my troubles. And rather than doubling my burden, when I find joy in the midst of my troubles, it halves my load that I'm carrying. I find joy by remembering how God has been faithful in the past. I find joy by being grateful for the good things God has put in my life. I find joy in the midst of my troubles when I choose to focus on the positive and not on the negative. So we've come through the first four words of the compass. Honor God, enjoy life. The first two words have to deal with my relationship with God. How do I live there? The second, enjoy life, is how do I go about living my life day to day? And then the last Two words, bless others, has to do with my relationship with those around me. If I had my way, Heather and I would move to an island and, uh, where I could spend time fishing, cooking, napping, and walking on the beach. Yeah, right? Sounds like a great idea. But the reality of my life is much different. I have to interact with people. Um, So I have to find some way to do that, right? I have to find some way that I can honor God, that I can enjoy life, and still be around people. For an introvert, that's not always easy. Um, 
And for years, I probably beat myself up because I'm an introvert and I like my time alone. Um, but being involved in the ministry and caring about people, I, I felt that I was always falling short of what was going on. So I started asking God, how do I live my life so that I can interact with others? There's a lot of philosophies out there about how do you go about interacting with others. A few of them, live and let live, right? Have you heard that one? Live and let live. And it's kind of that make room for others. Uh, it's probably the positive side of that. The other side, though, is kind of an apathy, right? It's like... I don't care what they're doing. I'll let them live, and I'll go live my own life. And, and so um, there's good and bad to it. Another philosophy in life is get them before they get you. <laughs> You've heard that one, right? I, I've known people like that. They see the world as a hostile place. And so they're always on guard. And if they see a threat, they're going to take care of it pretty quickly. Another philosophy is win or go home. This is more the sporting, you know, kind of thing. Um, it's always competitive. Whatever you do, I'm going to win, right? Um, this was an area in my family growing up when we would play board games or cards, tabletop games. Um, I had a very competitive family growing up, my, my family of origin. And oftentimes the fun games would end in screaming and crying, you know? <laughs> so it was not something was like, okay, we're going to have fun tonight. We're going to play a game. It's like, no, everybody starts running for the doors at that point. Um, there are still some times in my family where some people refuse to play games when we try to bring it up as adults. Um, another philosophy I heard growing up um, and I've used this at times with my kids. If everybody is not having fun, then no one should be having fun. Yeah? Um, but that philosophy, while it good intentions for that, doesn't always work right. Like, you talk to my kids after this, they'll tell you the scars that they have <laughs> from that perspective. But as I read the Bible... What I found in the word of God was that um, God calls us to bless others. That, it, that is his orientation for how we interact with one another. Jesus taught this in Luke 6, verses 27 and 28. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. So Jesus teaches that we are to bless those who curse us. Our interaction, even with the most offensive people in our lives, we are to be blessing them, praying for them, loving them, doing good to them. This has not been a new teaching in the Bible. Um, back in Genesis 12... Uh, God talks to Abraham. He calls him out of his country to go to a new people, out of his father's household. And he says, I will make you into a great nation, 
and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and curse those who, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God calls us, God blesses us, not just so that we can receive blessing, but that the blessing that he gives us can flow through us to those around us. The whole idea that we enjoy life is not just so that we can be self-absorbed, but we enjoy God's life so that we can help others enjoy God's life as well. In fact, this was so important in as God was establishing the people of Israel, um, that great passage from number six where we get the blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face shine on you and, and be gracious to you, the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace, um, was an important part of that. But, uh, but we read those verses, but we don't read what comes before and what, read, what comes after. And I think to me, those are very important as well. So right before that blessing, the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, who are the priests in the nation of Israel, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So this was a part of the priestly activity. Their responsibilities was to bless the people in the name of the Lord. And then verse 27 comes up. So they will put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. Now, folks, if you get that, you understand God has given us a superpower. Each of us as priests in the kingdom of God. And so in 1 Peter 2, it says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. If you are a believer in Jesus, if you are a follower of God, you have this superpower. And this superpower is that you can put, as it says in verse 27, so they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. That you can put the name of the Lord on people and that the Lord will look on them and bless them. That to me is a fantastic power that God gives us. And that he calls us to go out into the world and to bless people. Jesus said, bless those who curse you. And I think that this is a superpower that we don't use often enough for those people around us. Whether we lay hands on them and bless them audibly or we just as God brings them to mind, we say, Lord, bless that person. Fill them with your light and your love. Be gracious to them. Turn your face toward them and give them peace. And that by doing so, we put the name of the Lord on people. And the Lord looks on them and says, I will do it. There is a deep connection between honoring God and blessing people. Many times we want to honor God, but dishonor the people around us. And that doesn't work. In fact, 
God warns us about this. He te- Jesus taught about this oftentimes, that we cannot honor God and dishonor those who have been made in his image. That, in fact, the best way to honor God is to honor the image of God in those around us. In Matthew 15, he confronts the Pharisees about this. Verse 3, it says, Jesus replied, Why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But if you say, but you say, if anyone declares what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they do not have to honor their father and mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. So in this situation, Jesus is confronting the religious leaders because they were using the pretext of honoring God with a way to dishonor their father and mother, right? And so Jesus said, "Uh uh-uh, you can't do that. Honoring your father and mother, obeying what God has commanded you to do is honoring God. You can't separate those out. We honor God more through our obedience to his ways than by bringing him a sacrifice that we think makes us look good in his eyes or the eyes of those around us. The apostle John picks up on this in his letter that he writes to the early church. In 1 John 4, 19 through 21, we love because he first loved us, John writes. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. As he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. If we desire to honor God, we have to honor people as well. Now that doesn't mean we have to agree with them or approve of everything that they're doing in their lives, but it does mean that we need to show them respect. We honor God when we honor each person as made in the image of God. And so these six words come together, at least in my life. Honor God, enjoy life, bless others. When I'm caught in a situation where I don't know what to do, they become my guiding principle. When when I'm frustrated and things aren't working out, I have to go back to those and say, okay, am I honoring God? Am I enjoying life? Am I blessing others? And if those three don't come together and line up, then I say, God, I need a revelation. I need to figure out what's going on here. I need to find a different path. If you find that you have lost your way in life or somehow maybe life has changed all of a sudden and you find yourself in unfamiliar territory, pull out your compass. Now, this may not be what your compass is. God may lead you to a different scripture or a different set of scriptures that help guide you along. Uh, This just works for me. Find your way back to the path. Let it guide you home safely. 
let these six words or some other scripture word that God gives you orient you and put you back on the path, going in the right direction. Let the values and principles that God has to offer help you make the right decisions, help you make to find the right attitude that you need to have in life. In a short time, you'll find yourself back in the place that's familiar to you as well, again, by pulling out your compass and following God. Let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you that you have not left us alone in this life, that you have sent your Holy Spirit to guide us, to teach us, to, to walk alongside us. And so, Lord, we ask for a, a fresh and new revelation of your goodness in our lives, how we can honor you, how can we enjoy life, how we can bless those around us. Lord, it's by your grace and mercy that we're able to accomplish all things. And so we ask for your fresh anointing today, a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit, that as we go from this place, that you can, that we will carry your presence to those around us, that they will see the benefits in our life and, and know that you are God. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, go in peace. Have a good week.